James chapter 1. I don't intend to be too long tonight, but I want to finish up a consideration of sin. This morning we looked at what is sin. We saw that it's breaking God's rules. Then we looked at where it came from. We know it's no surprise to the Most High, but He planned it for His own honor and His own glory. We then looked at how bad it is, and we saw that it's a horrible thing beyond our mental comprehension. And we saw what what sin causes, and it causes death in various degrees, and how it can bind us and hinder the Spirit, stop our prayers, invites demons and devils into our lives because we want to play with sin. Tonight we want to answer just a couple of questions. We want to see how sin works. Heavenly Father, please give light. Open our hearts and our understandings that we might see and know the truth as it is in Jesus. Heavenly Father, humble us before Thee and cause us to be sober and vigilant at the danger that is all around us against our souls with this subject of sin. Heavenly Father, help us now by Your grace. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ that we might please Him more perfectly. Amen. Amen. How does sin work? Follow with me for a few minutes. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make a mistake about this. God does not put sin in us. God doesn't make us sin. God doesn't tempt us by infusing any evil desire into our hearts. It's all there, and we sin ourselves. Sin starts with a lustful thought. All sin starts with a lustful thought. It finds attraction in what it's thinking about. It gets enticed. Then it divides, devises, and develops a plan. And then it brings forth that plan in activity. That's how we all sin every single time. It says that, it tells us that in James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away. This is a word to us as believers. When we're drawn away, our attention, our focus, our thoughts are pulled off on something of this world, something that is ungodly, then we're enticed. Because we're pulled off, we're now looking at it, we're thinking about it, we find that it looks attractive. After we've been pulled off and we find that it's attractive, then we conceive a plan in our heart that we want to get that thing. We want to pursue it, and sin then brings forth, then that lust that we've conceived, that plan that we've developed, brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And the route was, I took my mind off God and thought about foolishness. The thought of foolishness is sin. Once we think about it, we get attracted. When we're attracted, we plan how to get it. Then we get it, and then we die. It's a horrible thing. God does not do it to us. We do it to us. We choose to look at what's around us, think about it, and we're pulled away from obeying God's rules. Look at Joshua chapter 7. Let's see it illustrated. Joshua chapter 7. What's the name of the man in Joshua chapter 7? Achan. Let's remind ourselves that these four things I just told you are exactly how it works. How does sin work? It starts with a thought against one of God's rules. By thinking about it long enough, you'll find attraction. Because you've got lust inside you that finds all those things of the world attractive. If you think about it after you find attraction, you'll develop a plan to get it. Then you'll do it. And then you're going to die for it. Just like Achan did. Here's Achan giving his testimony of how he sinned. Joshua 7.21 When I saw... He looked. He should have been filled with a holy zeal taking the city of Jericho. Just think, the walls fell down without pushing them down. 
They didn't have to kill anyone. Around near the walls, the Lord took the city for them. They just marched around it, blew on their trumpets, shouted, and the walls fell down. He should have gone in there with a holy zeal wanting to burn up everything because God had said destroy it. When I saw, he looked. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment. Now, no one ever looks at an ugly woman. But if you're going to look, you're going to find attraction. And if you allow that attraction to exist, you're going to develop a plan. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. I wanted them. I devised a plan on how to get them, and I took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. I saw it was good when I looked at it and thought about it. Then I coveted it. I wanted them. I planned how to get them. I took them. And what was the end? When, when sin is finished, it brings forth death. And so they stoned Achan and his family and burned them. Horrible thing. David did not go to battle when it was time for kings to go to battle. Second Samuel chapter 11. He walked on his rooftop and he saw. He saw a woman. She wasn't an ugly woman. God made sure that she wasn't an ugly woman because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he looked and instead of going in his, inside his palace and writing another psalm for us so that we could have had 151, he did something else. He looked, he saw that she was attractive, and he went to the next step. He sent his servants to find out who she was. It is a process, brethren. A- Abraham doesn't end up in a cave with his two daughters. Lot ends up in a cave with his two daughters because Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And being close to Sodom wasn't good enough. He ended up in Sodom. That's how you end up in a cave with your two daughters. Not Abraham. It's a gradual process. It's, a, it's, the, it's the route of James chapter 1. He saw Bathsheba. He knew she was beautiful. He thought about her beauty. He sent his servants to find out who she was. He did it. And what does it bring forth? Death. He had sons killed before his own eyes, before he died. And brethren, he had a child by Bathsheba that died, that he spent seven days on the ground begging for its life, and God did not spare its life. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Ananias and Sapphira, they saw what Barnabas did, and they saw all the attention he got in the New Testament church for doing something great. They thought, we want some of that attention. Then they were attracted by a piece of property they had. They could sell it and give most of the money to the apostles and hold back some for themselves. We've studied this in Acts chapter 5. They saw something they wanted, and that was to get themselves a name for giving, and they did give a lot. But they devised a plan within their heart, and that was to lie to the Holy Ghost. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. If you want to say all sin doesn't bring forth death, then you don't trust the Word of God, and I do. All sin brings forth death. Everywhere we see, everyone's dying. We're in the process of dying, all because of sin. That is how sin works. Sin starts with a thought. Sin starts with seeing something and wanting it, thinking about it, looking at it. And when you look at it, because we've got lust within us, you will find it attractive. You can't look. We've got to cut it off there in our heads and in our hearts. The thought of foolishness that I emphasized this morning, we've got to end it there. Don't even think about sin. Don't even think about foolishness. No mental fantasies. We need to cut it all off. Sin starts in the heart. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Sin starts in the heart. Therefore, if we get control of our hearts by the grace of God and we rule them diligently, we can hold off their foolish thoughts. And the more you do it, the stronger you'll get. The more you do it, the more foreign a wicked thought will be to your heart. But we live in a generation of carnal Christianity where people play with sin that call themselves Christians. 
And let's not worry about them. Let's worry about us. We, 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 this church, live in a generation of carnal Christianity. We have got to hate the very thought of sin because that's where it all starts. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In verse 18, he said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. The things that condemn us before God come from our hearts. We've got to rule our hearts, as we're going to see in a few minutes. How does sin work? It starts with a thought, and that thought becomes more attractive if you entertain it. And then you devise a plan to get that attractive thing. And then you do it, and then you die for it. Here are some other ways. Now, I've preached, I preached a whole series of messages in the past called The Delusions of a Deceived Christian. Many of them, about 40, over a number of sermons. And you're going to have to go look at all those ways that sin lies. I don't have time for that tonight. I just want to put you on notice tonight. And for those that are serious, you might want to look at that outline and use it as a basis for a Bible study. Another way that sin works, though, in brief, is that it promotes good sins. What's a good sin? It's your sin. That's how we all work. My sins are good sins. Your sins are bad sins. And so we justify sin by being self-righteous that our sins are not so bad. I want to just read to you a few sins the New Testament says are horrible. God does not know about a ranking of sins when there are sins against Him. I hope that this morning I showed you well enough that eating the fruit off a tree where no one was harmed cast an entire race into an eternal hell. You cannot say that is a horrible sin. Mine are not so bad. God doesn't know that kind of a list. I find his list of sins most condemning because in the midst of sins that we consider horrendous and horrible are sins that we engage in every day. Almost. Listen to this. I'm just going to give you a few. Pride. Is pride as bad as murder? It is in God's word. How about bitterness? You have a root of bitterness in your heart? Is it as bad as murder? Is it as bad as adultery? How about unthankfulness? Is unthankfulness as bad as leaving your husband? How about unhappiness? Oh, do we have to be happy? Does he have a rule? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Unhappiness. Breaking one of God's rules. Discontentment. Are all of you content with your state of life? Is discontentment equal to hatred and drunkenness? Gluttony. I'm going to preach on this one soon. I think gluttony is a major problem in this country. I don't think it. I believe it from the light of God's word. No nation's ever had the opportunity to be gluttons all the time like we are. And you don't measure gluttony by the size of the body. You measure gluttony by how much you eat. Gluttony. Debate. Wanting to argue and debate all the time. Envy. Covetousness. You mean just wanting something that's as bad as murder? No, it's as bad as idolatry. The Bible says that being covetous is idolatry. Then it says, which is as the sin of idolatry. In two places in your New Testaments. How about variance? Just not being agreeable. Wanting to pose problems to those that are in authority. Variance. You're kidding me. Is variance that bad? In the New Testament it is. How about emulation? The desire to equal or excel another. We call that in America competitiveness. The Bible calls it emulation. 
It's a sin. That desire that burns within you to want to equal or excel someone else. Now, if you want to equal or excel someone else in a spiritual gift, amen. And the Bible tells you to covet those things. And the Bible tells you to mark them as an example and try to be like others. But we're talking about in other matters. Emulation is a sin. It's breaking one of God's rules. How about whispering? Just talking to someone about someone else. Backbiting. Implacable. You're impossible to make happy. Implacable. Unmerciful. You're not a merciful person. Foolish talking. Jesting. Those are all sins of equal magnitude to God, of murder, drunkenness, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, whatever you want to think of. The point I'm trying to make right now is our souls try to deceive us by saying our sins aren't so bad. God does not know the difference. Right. So be warned. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Foolish talking. Does that bother you a little bit that I said that one? Foolish talking. It's so easy in our society to talk foolishly and to jest and joke around, goof around. Life is sober. But our, our whole society's forgotten all everything about God, reality, life, death, eternal judgment that's coming. So everybody wants to joke all the time. And it's wrong. It's a sin. It's one of the 58 sins of the New Testament that should be excluded from a New Testament church, ranked right along with murder and adultery. Foolish talking. Second Timothy, we don't think the way God does, do we? Right. But I hope we do after we hear his word. Amen. I hope we hear his word. We say, amen. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Now we think alike. Right. His ways are not our ways, but they should be our ways. That, the whole Psalm 119 is all about, I want your ways to be my ways. Is what David was saying. Second Timothy 2.17 And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. False doctrine, ungodliness, which is mentioned in verse 16, is like a cancer. Sin's like a cancer. It's not content with a small, isolated part of your body. It wants the rest. So it eats and destroys all that's around it. If you play with a little sin, it's going to end up consuming your life. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, and look where he ended up. And he was a righteous man. Sin is like a cancer. You cannot have, and sin will lie to you saying, that you can have this little confined area. You know, it's like I'm going to have a little fire over here in my tender, dry forest, and I'm going to confine it to this area. It's, I'm not going to let it get out of control. No one's going to find out about it. It's not going to hurt the rest of me. I can be a good Christian except for this one little area that I love so much. It will never stay small. Right. It will eat you up. It will come after you. It will hunt you down. It will tie you down. It wants more because the devil's behind it and he wants your soul. Right. It's like a cancer. It is not content with one cell. It's got to grow more and more. In the Bible, sin is like yeast. It's got to infect the whole lump. And it will infect your whole life, and it will infect this whole congregation if we allow any of it to exist. Right. It will come after you. No matter how small, if you start breaking the rules of God, you will break bigger ones and more of them until sin has consumed you. You can't limit sin. Now I want to tell you, sin lies. Did sin lie to Adam and Eve? How did sin, what, what were the three things that it told Adam and Eve? I am beautiful, the fruit. Eve looked at that fruit and she said, wow, that fruit is beautiful. Remember, she was looking. It all starts with a thought. Satan planted the thought. Eve, I think you can eat that. So she turned and she looked at it. And it says that it was beautiful. And, she, and it looked like it'd be a fruit that would taste real good. And, you know, now that he said it, it looks like a fruit that if I did eat it, I think I would be wise and like God. Sin lied that much. You can go read it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The fruit was beautiful. The fruit looked like it would taste good. Lust of the eyes first, lust of the flesh. Then the pride of life. It looks like it just might make me wise so that I can be like God. Now, was that a lie? Amen. 
How long did it take to find out the lie? I told you this recently in a sermon because I want you to think about it. Here we have two perfect man and a woman. Perfect, good, and very good. No sin in the world. They have a relationship with God, and they're standing there. She takes that fruit and eats of it and hands it to Adam, and he eats of it, and they both know they're naked right then. What a lie. What a horrible lie. Do you know what they did to us? The entire race went down because of that lie. Don't listen to that sin. There is nothing in sin. You young people, there's nothing out in that world but fear and loneliness and pain and suffering and misery and hopelessness. Why do you think these great athletes and these great movie actors and actresses that make so much money are so strung out on drugs? Why do they commit suicide? Why can't they keep a marriage together? Why are they flitting from person to person? Because they're so unhappy. Sin does not make a person happy. But it tells you it will. Sin lies. Look at 2 Samuel 13. I want to show you the lie of sin. 2 Samuel 13. I want all the young men to pay rapt attention to 2 Samuel 13. Verse 1, it came to pass after this. What after? After what? After David and Bathsheba. It came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Love, huh? Yeah, right. The Lord will use that word just the way you use it so that you'll understand. We, we know what it was, don't we? Was that love? Lust. It was lust, but it's called love. And the Lord uses it right here in the same way because that's what we call it. Because he wants to get right where we're at. This isn't 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7. This is lust. And, and Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. It was very difficult to get to a virgin in those days. But I want you to notice that there was a fair sister, and this young man couldn't control his thoughts. He had unbridled lust. He had not learned to rule his thoughts. And he would look at his sister. And he looked at his sister, and what did he see? She wasn't ugly. She was beautiful. He looked, he saw, he was enticed. And so he got sick about it, he wanted her so bad. He was vexed with that desire. He should have cut it off in his head. But he looked, he saw how beautiful she was. Every time she walked by and he had a chance to see her, he was just thinking how much he wanted to have her. And he fell sick for her. He wanted her so bad. And he had a wicked friend who was also a family member of David's family that told him how he could get his sister. And I want you to focus with me now on a verse that should haunt us for a long time. And those of you who've read it before know about it. I want to come down to verse 12. He forces his sister. He rapes his sister. Sin lied to him. Sin said, do you know how wonderful it would be to get Tamar? Wow, she's such a babe. You young men, listen to me, and it's nothing to smile about. It's something to fear and hate. It will ruin your life. They are the most beautiful thing God ever created. It is the greatest temptation in this world, and that's women. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 12. He rapes her. She said to him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. She gives him all the sober wisdom that you could ever expect from a young woman. Incredible advice. But sin has lied to him because he's entertained it for so long, he is consumed with his passion. And young men, you cannot play with this sin. Women, it is the most powerful passion in a man. There is no other comparison to it. It exceeds all the rest combined. Now therefore, she said, I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. 
Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Now I want you to see the lie of sin. Look at that next verse. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone, get out of here. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. What in the world happened? How could a man, a young man, a son of David, rape his sister, and she gives him the best advice on not doing it. He goes ahead and does it anyway, and as soon as he's through... He hates her exceedingly so that his hatred exceeds the love he had for her. That is the lie of sin. And if you play, if you play with women in your head, and that's where it all starts, virtuous young men do not end up in bed with the wrong woman. Virtuous young men play with thoughts. And then those thoughts find enticement. And then that enticement brings forth a devising a plan. Do not be deceived. Do not err, my beloved brethren. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a big blow. It starts by playing with it in your mind. He looked. She was fair. He got enticed. You can't look and you can't get enticed. You're going to see them. We live in a rotten society. I wish we lived in Montana on the backside of a mountain. I wish we all you could see is the butt end of a mule plowing enough ground to feed the rest of us. Yes, I do wish for that. But God's put us here. And yes, you've got a rough road. But you cannot play in your head. You cannot think that there is happiness in a babe. You start playing with that in your mind, and you give yourself your mind anything else to look at or to think about, and you are on the road to hell. I want to tell you, within two years, Amnon was dead. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Look at Ezekiel 23. I don't want you to think that's the only case that things like this happen. I've tried to warn you people. I say it so many times. You all think I'm crazy. You think I'm extreme. But the Bible says that what you have before marriage is lust. It's not love. And you get married, and that lust disappears. Because now you've got what you wanted. And then it's hard to stay together. And it's a fact in the Word of God. We saw it with, with Amnon and Tamar. But here's another example. Here's the middle of a sermon by Ezekiel about the wickedness of Israel. And he's liking Israel to a whorish woman. Ezekiel 23 and verse 16 and as soon as she saw them with her eyes, notice, she, he's, he is describing a foolish, sinful, carnal nation as a wicked woman. As soon as she saw the Chaldeans with her eyes, notice it starts with a thought, and it starts with looking. She doted upon them. She was attracted by them. She sent messengers unto them into Chaldea. <coughs> Ezekiel twenty three seventeen. And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love. Oh, yes. It's love. The power of love. Yes, indeed. The Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoredom, and she was polluted with them, and her mind was alienated from them. Sin doesn't satisfy. Sin does not satisfy. And so here it is. They're... De- she, she goes into the bed of love. She wants them so bad. She sends messengers to beg them to come to her. She dotes upon them. And as soon as they have her, all of a sudden her mind's alienated from them. That is sin. Why doesn't Hollywood tell us that? Why does Hollywood make it that whenever you make it to the bed of love, that's the, that's the best thing in life? Why don't they show us this other side of the coin? Because Satan's behind it and he's the father of all lies. And if he showed you the other side, you wouldn't get into it quite so fast. We are bombarded with this. Bombarded with it. I've told you, even that great movie a few years ago called Braveheart, I tell you, built you up the entire movie to want William Wallace to get the Princess of Wales. 
It doesn't tell you what's on the other side of that transaction that took place inside that tent. But the Bible tells us, because thy word is truth. He doesn't hold back the bad side. The Lord's warning us, and I'm warning you tonight. Don't play with it in your mind. Blow those thoughts out. Run to a brother and do something spiritual. Read your Bible. Pray. Get something else in your head. Don't think about sin. And young, I'm talking to young men mostly. I'm talking to old men. Cut those thoughts off in your heart. Don't let, don't play with them. Don't look after you've had a thought. Sin lies. I read in Isaiah chapter 44, sin lies so much that a man can cut down a tree, use a third of it to cook his food, use a third of it to heat his body, take the other third and say, oh, I've got something left over. Oh, let me carve it up. Carve it up, plant it on a, on a shelf, and pray to it like it's his God. Isaiah, there's 20 verses that are wonderful to read. And do you know what it says in verse 20? The man cannot deliver himself from the lie that he's holding in his right hand. And if not for the grace of God, you're going to be there. You would not believe how powerful sin is. You should believe it if you're wise tonight. It lies. Don't listen to the lie. And every time you turn on television, you're opening yourself up to the lie. Every time you go to a movie, you're opening yourself up to the lie. You listen to the music of this world, it's promoting the lies of sin. Sin does not make you happy. Sin does not pay. Sin kills, and you've got hell to pay. And if you play with the thought of a woman, the thought of foolishness is sin. I've warned you. Brethren, sin lies. Sin sears the conscience. 1 Timothy 4.2 tells us that if you sin, it sears your conscience. You know, to sear something is to stop it from bleeding, stop it from being sensitive. It's no longer sensitive because you've played with sin. And if we have ever lived in a generation that's like that, it's right now. We all are not as sensitive to sin as we should be. Because our consciences are seared. But you know, the Lord's merciful. There's a source of renewed blood flow. And it's called the Spirit of the living God. That if we will forsake sin and seek the Lord, He'll renew that feature in our souls of of a conscience that is tender toward Him. And that's what we need to be cultivating. A conscience that loves God and loves His Word and hates sin. That's why I preach on hating sin. Until you hate it, your conscience is still seared. Because what you're saying is it's not really that bad. Sin hardens the heart. We are to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness. What's deceit? Lying. Sin lies to you and hardens your heart. Can sin be beaten? I want to tell you tonight that it's been beaten already. The Lord Jesus Christ did it. Brethren, I, I wrote a few brothers this week about this fact. Satan has the best intelligence operatives in the world. They don't make mistakes. They know us well. Whenever they see a congregation getting right with God, hating sin, loving holiness, they go back and report in that we've got got trouble over there in Greenville, South Carolina. This is not a joke. We've got trouble over there because there's more prayers going up there. Prayers have increased 300%. A lot of sins are being put out. The TVs are operating only 26% of what they were just a few months ago. we got to do something about that. And so we see increased opposition and warfare around us. On one hand, it should encourage us that we've got the attention of the great enemy of Jesus Christ. That means we're doing something good for the captain. I want to jump and shout right now. That should be exciting. That's why it's happening. They don't make mistakes. I want to tell you something that they don't like to hear. They don't like to hear five sermons entitled Give No Place to the Devil, where I taught you plainly that Jesus Christ made a show of them openly. If you ever get discouraged, just go to Colossians 2. Remember that morning? I was going to send my wife, I tried to send my wife to the phone. She wouldn't obey me to call Jim and say I wasn't coming. 
because I'd had a spiritual warfare all that night, I stumbled into my office, opened my Bible to Colossians. God gave me Colossians chapter 2, that Jesus Christ has made a show of them openly, and I go back and listen to the tape. God's merciful. God saves. Jesus Christ has already defeated them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. But there's, there's, there's intelligence operatives that are listening to me right now that don't like to hear that. They've got chagrin all over their faces because they know that they're defeated. They know their time is short, as one brother read tonight. And there's great wrath. And so when they see a congregation getting on fire that the 20th century was unable, the 21st was unable to drown out our love for God, they come after us. And we can't give them a place. The opposition's going to get worse. I'm warning you, brethren, if you're not keeping your life, the, 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 the devil's going to get you. Because the, there's going to be increased opposition to you in your spiritual life. And instead of being frightened by that, let's be excited by that. By the yeah. grace of Christ, we can have the victory. If we'll resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Right. He's got easier ground elsewhere. Let's, let's be sober, let's be vigilant and oppose him. I want to thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that he came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said that he was the chief of those sinners, and Jesus came in to save Paul. Paul did not, Jesus did not come into the world to save the righteous. Jesus did not come into the world to save little sinners. Jesus came into the world to save big sinners. And no matter how big the sin is, Jesus came to pay for it. And he did pay for it. We should love him. He paid for it. He suffered the wrath of God that we'll never see. We'll only smell it. Because we're going to smell the torment of all those that he didn't die for, including the devil and his angels. And you do not hear me rail on the devil. Don't you go around railing on the devil. If Michael the archangel doesn't rail on the devil, the last thing I'm going to do is rail on the devil. All I'm going to say is the truth of God's word, and I know God will defend his word because it's the sword of the spirit of the living God. Jesus Christ has defeated the devil. Amen. The man Christ Jesus, whom we all should love. Is there a, can sin be beaten? It's already been beaten. Jesus Christ already paid for it all. You, you can't sin a sin that Jesus Christ hasn't paid for. Because Jesus Christ has already paid for it, should we, should we let sin abound? No. no. God forbid. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen. Praise his holy name. Now what should we do about that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Amen. It doesn't say if we confess our sins and live two months without sinning, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right. It doesn't say if we confess our sins and promise him, we'll never do it again and live up to it. <clears throat> that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It doesn't say if we confess our sins and crawl through the streets of Mexico City on broken glass that he'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confess them and believe it. If you try to add anything, it's because you are proud and you want to do something yourself to earn favor with God. And we can't. We're sinners. We're undone. Brethren, we are on a ball of blue and green, spinning in the universe. We're little scum. We have sinned against God. And if it's not for His grace, we're going to hell. Right. But there is grace and there is salvation. Jesus did die. And all God wants to see us do is give all the credit to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil cannot stand that blood because it was blood that destroyed the devil. You didn't destroy him at all. And if you try to worm yourself in to forgiveness of sins, the devil loves that. Because he knows you can't do anything to merit favor with God. It is all of grace and it's all of blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. Amen. When, when you sin... The way that we take advantage of the victory that's already been wrought is to go to Him, God, right then. Right. Lord, forgive me. And if there's a little voice inside of you that says, there's no way you can be forgiven. You're such a sinful creature. The way you've been sinning, you've sinned that thing so many times. If you were sincere, you'd be living for a week or two without doing it. That's your pride. That's the devil. Right. You go to God and believe His Word. God said it. I believe it, that settles it. And do you know what that is? If we confess our sins, Lord, I have sinned. I am wrong. Your rules are right. I have sinned. Forgive me. 
I want to tell you something on the authority of the Word of God and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the most valuable commodity in the universe, that you are forgiven. And if you doubt it at all, you're not listening to me. Don't doubt it. To every degree that you doubt it, you're, you're mocking the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're giving place to the devil. Because he said, I am faithful. Has God ever not been faithful to you? Can you tell me about the days that the sun didn't come up? Can you tell me about the years that we didn't have spring, summer, winter, and, a, and fall? God is faithful. Amen. He is faithful and just. Do you know what just means? If a sin's been paid for, it's impossible for him to have double jeopardy. Because He is just. He will not require that payment again. Amen. Brethren, I know all about what I'm talking about. I hate my soul. I hate my reasoning. I hate my pride. I hate going to God and confessing my sins. And yet inside me, that little voice saying, until you've lived for a week or two without that, God's not going to listen to you. Do you know why? Because that's the way I forgive. I want to see you prove it to me before I forgive you. God doesn't do that. Bless his name. When God came to David and said, you have sinned, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. God said, you're forgiven. Why didn't God say, you have sinned against, you've sinned against the Lord? David said, I I have sinned against the Lord. Why didn't God say, give me six months without touching Bathsheba and I'll forgive you? Offer sacrifices every day for three years and I'll forgive you. He didn't do that, brethren. We have the victory. Can sin be beaten? Absolutely. There's only one, there's only one person and there's only one thing. It's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you love him tonight. He died for you. He died all three deaths for you. He sits at God's right hand and something's been offered to God, his blood through the eternal spirit, and it was accepted. When we go to confess our sins, just believe it. You say, that's too simple. That's a lie of the devil. Amen. You say, it's too free. That's the lie of the devil. Grace is free. His blood is free. Salvation is free. He has already paid the price right. by himself. Didn't Brother Jim tell you that two weeks ago? By one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Did you do that, brother? Amen. I think you did it. Amen. Two weeks ago when you had the Lord's Supper. He's already done it. So if you sin, instead of letting the devil defeat you by becoming discouraged that you can't win, that you can't beat sin, and letting the devil beat you down, just go to the Lord in confession. Lord, I have sinned. Your law is right. I am wrong. That is a broken and contrite heart. You are right. I am wrong. That is a broken heart. I have sinned. Will you forgive me? And here are his words. I am faithful and just to forgive you. You are forgiven. And go on. You can defeat the devil. Brethren, we've got to hate this world. I've preached enough on that. If any man love this world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and God. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I want you to turn to Job 33 and let me show you a jewel. Job 33. Chapter 32, Elihu introduces himself and explains his position. Chapter 33 is his explanation to Job about the book of Job and why it happened. What happened to Job? Remember, I've taught you, 33 and 12 is the answer to the book. God is greater than man. Amen. God can do whatever he wants to a man like Job. And what does verse 13 tell us? Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. I like a God like that. He doesn't have to explain or answer for anything he does, Job, and especially to you. That's the way Elihu would talk. But now I want to tell you, in Job 33, there's some good stuff. And we'll be here a long time if you don't keep me on a short trail here and the gun, do, and the gun doesn't misfire. There's three ways that God deals with men. Number one, he teaches, them thing in their, he teaches men things in their sleep that they do not perceive. Have you ever gone to bed with an intention or a plan to do something and the next day you don't really want to do it? Mm-hmm. Or you don't do it? 
three things are going to be explained to Job in Job 33, and they're precious, and I'm not preaching on them tonight, but I just want to tell you that they're there. God seals the instruction of men when they're asleep, in sound, deep sleep, it says. He seals their instruction to keep men back from the pit, doing things that result in death, and to hold man back from pride. I am not talking about dreams. I am talking about sealing your instruction in your inner man, in your mind, while you're asleep. God does that sometimes with men. Second thing he does, he puts men in their beds and chastens them with pain, which he was doing to Job. He brings torment into your life until you are fearful and afraid and you hate life and you're, dis you're discouraged, you're frustrated, you're irritated, you're lonely, you're hurt. And then he sends along a messenger that can tell you that a ransom has been found and you are delivered. Because there's been a ransom that's paid for everything that's bothering you. And your flesh returns to be as fresh as a child's. Yes, there's a specific application for that. But I want to come to number three way that he deals with men. It's in verses 27 and 28. Job 33, 27. He looketh upon men... And if any say, I have sinned, and here is how you confess sins, if you want to make peace with God, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. Right. That is the repudiation of your sin. Amen. Have you ever gone to the Lord and said, I have sinned, please forgive me. And then you went away from that confession still knowing in your heart that you sort of enjoyed that sin. I believe that you've done that. I believe that you've confessed, no one wants to nod their head vigorously up and down, but I believe that you've confessed your sins. Lord, I've sinned, please forgive me, in the middle of some prayer, and then you've gone your way, and inside, you were still holding that precious little thing. It wasn't all that bad, and I did sort of enjoy that. What I've been trying to get to, and the Lord gave me this, I, I know Job 33 quite well, but the Lord gave me this this week. It's the repudiation of sin. If you don't repudiate it, you haven't confessed it well enough especially in certain sins that are very delectable, and I'm talking about sexual sins. Until you repudiate them, you're not going to get deliverance from them. Here's how the prayer goes. I have sinned and perverted that which was right. I'm a pervert. I have perverted that which was right. You made a woman for me. Any other woman is a perversion of that which was right. right. I'm a pervert. I have perverted what was right. You made things very good, and you made things right, but I have perverted what is right. And it profited me not. Right. You cannot walk away from that confession still thinking that it's good. So by the grace of God, and by prayers to God, and by knowing this, we have got to go when we confess certain enticing sins to hate them and to tell God they were not profitable. Lord, I see through the temporary tinsel lying pleasure of it to see all the death that surrounds it. I see the horror of it. I see the pain that it causes. I see the trouble. And then there is deliverance for that man because it says he will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see the light. You can spend a long time in darkness because you didn't confess the way of verse 27. Now, if you don't see it as a jewel, I'm sorry, but I'm going to wear it for the rest of my life on a ring. I love Job 33. There's so much in that chapter about, because look at what verse 29 says. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. Doesn't that mean you want to read what's in Job 33? If these are things God often does with man, they're things we must want to, we should want to know them. But what I want to get is the repudiation of sin. I hate it. Men will try to justify pictures, thoughts, fantasies, 
all sorts of ways because they're so pleasant. But we've got to hate them and despise them and know that we're perverting that which was right. God made women. God made them beautiful and God made us to love their beauty. But there's a right way to enjoy a woman, your wife. And to do it any other way is to pervert that which was right. And we've got to be able to say to God, it didn't profit me. Because it doesn't. All that garbage reduces your sensitivity and pleasure. It doesn't enhance it. The more you do it, the less you'll have. And any of you young men, you will ruin your marital life before you ever get there. I promise you. No, I'm not plain enough. I'm just working you people up so that you can get used to plain preaching. We've got to starve sin by not giving it any opportunities. Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh. I've got to admit that in the past we've used this verse so many times, and we're usually just saying make no provision for the flesh. But I want to tell you that while you're making no provision for the flesh, you're putting something on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How much do you love Him? If you're loving the Lord Jesus Christ enough, you're thinking about Him and wanting to please Him and walk with Him and, and, and have fellowship with Him and want Him close to you and with you, there's no way that you're going to want to give place to the flesh. You won't want to be any place where you can allow your lust to latch onto something. You won't want to be there because you want to be with Jesus Christ. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't make a provision. To make a provision is to have reading material in your home or to turn the television on or to go places. I went to a restaurant this past week. I'm going to tell you how far it's going in my life. I went to a restaurant this week that is not a bad restaurant at all. But as soon as I stepped in it with my oldest son, I stood there like I was in shock because I had forgotten. No, I hadn't forgotten the Lord's changing me more and more. I stood there and saw the visual impression, the people, the energy, and the music, and the screens, and I realized I am not in a good place, and it ruined my entire night. You say, a restaurant, you are going crazy. No, no. no it's a carnal atmosphere. Right. And that you cannot, you walk into that carnal atmosphere, spiritually minded, I'm going to tell you how you walk out, carnally minded. You will walk out carnally minded. Your mind is ready to flit to any, to any, to any one, any woman walking around, to any thought. It all of a sudden becomes very carnally minded. Making money is more important than loving Jesus. Beautiful women are more important to look at than your own wife. All of it happens because you went into a carnal place. You say you're extreme. Oh no, I'm not. Right. I'm not extreme yet. I want to be extreme for the Lord. I want to live a holy life. Sin is extreme. God is extreme. It's carnal. What do I mean by carnal? Fleshly oriented. Audio is fleshly. Visual is fleshly. Everything is fleshly. The people that you're around are fleshly. We cannot make a provision. I was very upset. It never crossed my mind on my way there. I hadn't been there a long time. Hadn't cro- it, it will next time. My wife made some wild promise in bed that night because I was so upset. She said, well, I know one thing I'm going to remind you of before you ever bring that up again. Because I was upset. It ruined me temporarily. But I was glad for the experience. And I praise God that I, that I have a conscience that is that sensitive, and I want it more sensitive, and I want yours to be that sensitive. Amen. Amen. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Amen. What is exercise? Isn't exercise repetitive movements of basic repetitions of basic movements? Amen. What are some basic movements of a Christian? Prayer, Prayer. reading. Praise, thanksgiving, fellowship with the brethren. Do those over and over again. You will exercise yourself and be a great godly man. That's what you replace all the time with, that you save by shutting down the boob tube, getting off the internet. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, and it's called exercise. Pray, read, 
confess, praise, thanks, talk to your brethren. You do those enough, you'll be living a godly life and enjoying it. Amen. Do you know, do you know what all those things are like when you're living a carnal life? They're dull. Who wants... Let's do that next week, honey. Let's do that next week. And you just, you defer, you defer, you defer. You defer in your own soul. I, I, I can pray tonight before I go to bed. Guess what? You'll wake up in the morning and you'll have forgotten to do it before you went to bed. But if you're spiritually minded, you'll be doing it all the time almost. But we slip and we slide. God help us. Let's exercise ourselves into godliness. It's got to start in the heart. My brother Jeff, back there in the back row, his favorite verse, one of his favorite verses is Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Amen. If we can guard our hearts and not let them think about sin, in our heart, at the heart level, it can never get out here to come out of the mouth, and it can't get out here into our hands and feet to take us someplace if we control our hearts. Keep thy heart with all diligence. All diligence? All diligence is what the Word of God says. Don't you dare think that you're strong. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 tells us, and you better be thinking about this next Sunday, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. If you think that you're better, you're wrong. Do not do that. Take heed, brethren, that you don't think that way. I'm telling you, can sin be beaten? Yes, indeed it can be. But don't you think that you're above falling like others fall. Fools make a mock at sin. We should not have any joking about sin. Do not joke about drunkenness. Do not joke about sodomy. We cannot joke about fornication or lasciviousness. We can't joke about it. It's serious. Sin is serious. Sin kills. Sin has hell to pay. The Bible says, these are its words, fools make a mock at sin. Proverbs 14, verse 9. I want you to go to the Psalm 119, not right now, but I want you to go in your private time to Psalm 119, and you read through that, and that's how a godly man prays. Get in there and see that man asking God to quicken his affections toward the Word of God that he can keep those commandments. Oh, Lord, keep me away from sin, and teach me thy law that I can run in the way of thy commandments. Psalm 119 is great praying material. If you want to know how to get into Psalm 119 and pray some of those verses... I am excited about those in this assembly that are memorizing. The rest of you are going to be memorizing soon. Trust me. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. If you're, that's exercising your mind. Man, if you're, twirl, if you're twirling verses every day, you can't be thinking about anything else. Right. Be memorizing God's word. And look what it says. What is my subject for today? Sin. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Let's memorize the word of God. He's given it to us. We have it so available. And brethren, we've got to use our assemblies and our means of communication of email, telephones, and visits. No, There's no assembly that's ever had the means that we have to communicate with one another to exhort one another that we can be delivered from the deceitfulness of sin that hardens our hearts. The Bible says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies. Sin can be beaten. Jesus Christ has paid for it. He's given us the victory. All we have to do is take advantage of what our great brother has done for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, to confess our sins when we do sin, and to do the other things that I've mentioned here tonight to repudiate our sins, to replace them with exercising ourselves to godliness, to staying away from carnal atmospheres and influences, never to think we're too strong that we can't fall, not to make a mock of sin, to love God's word, to hide it in our hearts, and to exhort one another. We can do all these things. We must do them, or we're not going to make it. I heard my wife told me this afternoon that some sister told her that this past week they'd had a synectomy in their house, in their family. You know, we have tonsillectomies and we have appendectomies. They had a synectomy. Amen. I like that. Amen. I like that. That's pulling out the sword of the sons of Levi and cutting sin out of the life of a family. And we've got to do it all the time. Right. It's trying to creep in all the time. 
May the Lord bless us to understand sin better, to hate it more, and that we might please our Lord Jesus Christ and we might wait for him from heaven because he's coming for us soon. May Jesus Christ be praised.